The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. If you haven't found a good spot, in the words of Aslan, further up and further in, we always have seats in the front. I don't know why. I don't spit when I talk, but you know. Galatians chapter 4, that's where we are today. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 4. Um, and we're going to be looking at this, this passage that Paul continues talking about freedom in the gospel. And um, I think it's going to be a really beautiful uh, passage for us this morning. I was very, very encouraged by the Lord as I was studying and preparing for it. So before I read the the, our passage today, um, would you just pray with me, and then I'll read it, and we'll, we'll do some business. So, Father God, we just thank you. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. And just reminded of just the psalmist. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Oh, Father, we are so glad to be in your presence to be with brothers and sisters, to, to be encouraged, to hear your voice. Father, we pray that as we go through this passage, your spirit would just speak to our spirit. Who knows the mind of God but you, Holy Spirit. So speak. Your people are listening. We ask that you would just illuminate the scriptures as you promised to do, that you would teach us. I pray that the, the, the words that come from my lips today would just be encouragement and that they would just be received as, as just the encouragement of God to us. May I become lesser and may you become greater. May we just come in humility, ready to have hearts just open and malleable by the master potter. So we give this time of worship and the word to you, God. Do with it as only you can do. To your glory, to your people's joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage today comes out of Galatians chapter 4, and you can follow along on the screen uh, if, or in your Bible if you have that with you. This is Paul, again, writing to the churches in the region of Galatia, not to one specific church, but to churches. And this is what he says, starting in verse 8 through 20. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and through my condition, was, though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. 
what then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Go back. Thank you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed that the screen just turned off (laughs) about you. (laughs) Amen. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he's, he's just, you can feel his heart being poured out. He's, just, he's laboring over them in love. He's concerned for them. He longs to fellowship with them. He has to write a letter because he can't be with them physically in this moment. And he just, he wants them to be built up. So I'm going to start in verses 13 through 16 and go down, and then we're going to go back to the top. So let's look at verses 13 through 16 together. Do we? Okay. It says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For, if I, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So Paul, he, he enters into the region due to a health issue. I mean, what we see here is that he, he didn't really have the intention to go into Galatia at, at this time, but because of his health, issue, whatever that is. Now, let's be honest. We don't know. And if, you, if you're in the health field, you know how hard it can be at times to diagnose a living patient. Imagine trying to diagnose one who died a thousand years ago or more. You know, it's like, so we're, I'm not going to try to diagnose Paul's ailment, though many, many have tried. What we do know is that God used his sickness to take him into the region of Galatia and the gospel was preached. So Paul goes up there, and the point is that God used that condition as an opportunity for the gospel. Romans 8, 28, it's a very well-known passage. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So God is using Paul's condition to move him into this region where he's sharing Jesus with people. He's sharing the the gospel that brings true freedom, that that brings them into a relationship with God. All too often in our day-to-day, people ask the question of why. Like, why is God allowing this? Why is this happening? Why isn't God showing up and changing hearts in this situation? Why isn't he working 
here at my workplace in, in this moment? Why, why is he allowing this? Why is sickness happening? And, and, and we, we have those questions, and those are normal, but we ask why all the time. But here, Paul is just pointing out to them, hey, even in this condition of suffering, God was moving, God was working, and God had great care and concern for those in Galatia by using his illness to get the gospel to them. It wasn't Paul's plan, but it was God's. And so Paul reminds us that our God can take our suffering and bring good about. For the Galatians, it means salvation. For Paul, it means he identifies more and more with the suffering of Jesus. Romans 8.29 says this. It says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He conforms us. He changes us. He, he teaches us. So next time we're in a hard circumstance, we're sick, you know, it's that time of year, weather's changing fast, it's wet outside, it's cold. somebody's going to have sniffles come tomorrow morning, right? And the next time we're in those seasons, instead of blaming God, which our sinful heart likes to do, we like to be like, why God, you know, we took the vitamins and we were doing all this stuff and we kept everything clean, like, why would you let us get sick? We did so well to keep it out of here. Instead of blaming God, how about we ask God, what are you doing with this? How will you use this, Lord? What are you going to bring about? I don't know if you know uh, a pastor speaker by the name of Graham Cook, but he has an expression that I, I love it. I'm going to just paraphrase it. But he said, our hard circumstances and, and brokenness are just an opportunity for us to see God show off. Isn't that great? Like in those moments... It's just an opportunity for God to show himself, to work, to reveal more of who he is, to refine you and to change you more into the image of the Son. Paul points out that it also afforded them there in Galatia the opportunity to care for him, to, to minister to him. It gave, like his sickness gave them an opportunity to love to bring care. He says, you didn't reject me in the scripture. He, he says, you didn't reject him. He, he was an outsider who was afflicted. It would have been so easy to say, well, you're not one of us. You're not from my area. You know, Somerset Strong, you're from New Richmond. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with you guys. It would have been easy, right? You're one of them. You're outsiders. You're not an insider. And he says, no, I showed up with this affliction, and you cared for me. And if we think about, you know, what was prominent at times of that day, when people had sicknesses and afflictions, when things were hard, the, the common thought was, you did something wrong. <laughs> what did you do to get sick like that? What, how have you been living? What's going on? I mean, if we think about the book of Job and his friends, I mean, isn't that part of their, their questioning of Job? It's like, Job, what did you do that God would bring this about? that he would bring this hard circumstance, this judgment. You just need to get right, Job. Well, Job didn't do anything. It was just the, what God had allowed to be filtered through, and Satan had brought all of that. They didn't reject him. They didn't push him out. 
verse 14, it says this, And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. It wasn't easy. Look at that. I mean, how, how often do we kind of judge how well we're going to serve each other by how convenient and easy it is? Well, I look at my, it's like, I know so-and-so needs help. Let me look at my schedule. I'm pretty busy. What kind of help do you need? It's like, ah, I might be able to, you know, well, oh, you don't really need me to show up. Are you like, I can just help by lending you whatever. I can give a little money to it. I can do this or do that. And like, I don't really have to be there. It's not really going to cost me much. Sure, I'll do that. Like, yeah, no problem. And it's like, I love doing that. But when the moment comes when it's not easy, how do we respond? Here he says, they responded to him like he was an angel from heaven or even Christ himself. It cost them. Cost them relational equity. Cost them probably material stuff as well. Time, energy. He said, you didn't despise me. How often when we care for the need of someone and that need continues on and on and on, we start to despise and say, man, how long do I have to take care of this person? How long? It made me just pause and think, who is suffering among us? Who in this room today has need? Physical need. Maybe you haven't told anybody, or maybe just a few people know. We're really good at not sharing those things because we can do it. I'm okay. I can get by. But who has need? Who needs to be prayed for? At a bare minimum, who needs to be prayed for today? Prayers of healing. Could be physical healing or emotional healing, but I'm thinking physical healing because of our passage. Paul's suffering. He's saying, "You cared for me." The church, we should be caring for one another and at least praying over each other. Who has need today? It's not a rhetorical question. Who has need today? We have four on our prayer team right now. They're in the back, and I would like to just invite any who has a need, a physical need, who would say, hey, I would love to have someone pray over this physical ailment and, and, and go back there. Does anybody have need among us today? Would any receive prayer today? If so, would just stand up. Just stand up and you can head to the back. We must be a really healthy group. Is there any who would receive healing today? prayers of healing. Thank you. Anyone else? You can just head to the back. Thank you. Anybody else? The rest of my sermon for you, it's fine to miss it. If you would like prayer, just head to the back. Diane, please head to the back. Let them pray for you. Anyone else? Thank you. takes courage to say I'm in need 
Paul showed up and he says, I'm in need, and they cared for him. And we, the church, should care for one another. Just as they cared for Paul, this outsider, this man who just shows up, they, they take care of him and they meet his needs. It costs them and they're willing to do it. They love him well. Verse 15, he says this, What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Paul says the Galatian church cared for him so well that they would have done anything they could. He says they would have even given their eyes to him. It's kind of a gross picture, (laughs) but I mean, it wouldn't help if I took my eyes out and gave it to anybody. It wouldn't help them. But his point is saying, whatever the need was, if that was the need, they were willing to meet it. They were willing to sacrifice and do whatever they could to care for him. He's, he's showing this beautiful picture of love that was given as he was there preaching the gospel. The question is, will we, the bridge, will we be a people who will give with joy? Will we, like the Galatians, will we give with joy? And at times, even if it costs us, will we give, will we serve, will we meet needs? Here's the reality, we must. We must. We we must become a people who love well. Our community has so many who are in need And it will be hard at times. But it is those moments of care, it's those moments that so greatly transform. And so we need to become a people who will love and who will meet needs and serve, even at times when it's difficult, with great joy for the cause of Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 3 through 8, Paul says it this way, kind of putting it in a spiritual context. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So let us use them. If prophecy, in portion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The point is this, they're ministering as a community. Paul is is pointing out that God has given us all different gifts, different assignments. And it's, it's so easy for us to think, oh, well, that person is connected to this community group or to those people, and it's really, you know, they're ministering to them, so I'm not going to minister to them. No, 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 they're not off limits. Like, because someone is caring for and praying for and meeting a need doesn't mean that you're not allowed to come alongside and do the same and help. 
too often we, we kind of get possessive with some of these things. We're like, well, they're doing that. I don't want to get in the way. And the, no, you have a different gift. And it's the gift of all of the church working together. It's, it's coming together and saying, one has generosity, one has mercy, one has a word of healing, one is there doing another thing. Is whatever God has given you to do, you do it. And as a community, we build people up. As a community, we reach those who need to be loved well. Because you and I are not masters of everything. I think it's, we're jacks of all, of all things and master of none, jacks of all trade, master of none. That's the, that's the expression, right? There are things that you will excel in that someone else cannot do, and you are needed. Serve with joy, with the measure of faith you have. That's what Paul's talking about here. So verse 16 he says to them, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul's not their enemy. He's not against them. I mean, it, it sounds harsh, but he's, he's harsh because he, he wants them to see the truth that they are being duped, that they're being taken into slavery by becoming religious and trying to have a relationship with God, that, that God says, that's not how you have a relationship with me. It's through the Son. It's through Jesus, not through the works of the law. And, and he is wanting them to, to reject it and come back, to come back to their first love. So he's not their enemy. Somewhere along the line, when these others came into the fellowship, there was a shift. There was a change. It centered around legalism, around the law. It, it crept in. And Paul is speaking truth back into their lives. At times, what each and every one of us need is truth. We all need it. More than just feeling good about ourselves. It's nice when people come and give you a pat on the back, isn't it? When someone encourages you and says, hey, you're doing great. But there are times when someone needs to come and say, hey, you're not doing so great. <laughs> Here's what is lacking. Here's what I'm seeing. Let me, let me admonish you a little bit here. I heard that conversation. I saw what, that, what you did there. Like, hey, I'm concerned. Sometimes we need truth. We need that spoken to us. So Paul is speaking truth because his concern is their eternal joy, not their temporal happiness. He wants them to know true freedom. And it's not found in the law, and it's not found in being religious. So a question that the Lord brought to my mind as I was thinking about that is, what, what do you do with a hard word? If you have one, or if you're going to receive one. It's, it's a hard word. What do you do with that? Well, for the one giving a hard exhortation, a hard word, you have to do it with tact and with love. You really have to be careful. Think about what you're going to say. Think about the way you're going to say it, how you deliver it with tact and with love. The person receiving needs to know that you care. You need to speak with care and concern. Showing concern and love for that person then makes it more palatable, that they can hear it, they can receive it. But what if you're on the receiving end? What do you do with a hard word? Someone comes to you and they've 
mustered up the courage because believe me, it takes courage to say hard things. And someone finally has the nerve to say, I need to sit down with you. And you have that, you know, that treble, tremble thing in the voice when you're talking, you're a little nervous and your stomach's got butterflies and you're like, uh, you know, I, I really, I got, I got to talk to you about this thing. And you just feel it all. It takes a lot of courage to get to that moment, to sit down and to do it. And so you're sitting across from that person. How do you receive that word? What, is, what do you do? Well, it comes with humility. You have to say, Lord, help me to have ears to hear in this moment, to not be offended. Come on in. Where do we have space? How many we got? Four of you guys? You can sit on the front. I won't spit on you. Promise. What do you do with that? Well, you have to pray, Lord, give me humility. This, this brother, this sister just got the courage to say something true to me and something hard. And, and I, I need to receive it. I want to hear it. I want to weigh it. I want to ask God, is it true? Is this really true? Do I have a blind spot? Is there something in my life that I am just oblivious to and others around me are seeing it and someone finally had the courage to point it out? I listened to this guy, not a Christian, but man, I thought the, the point being made was great. It was another religious guy, so I won't even go into that. But he talked about how our nose, it's interesting how our nose sits right above our mouth. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's just basic anatomy. And he's like, and this nose cannot tell when you have bad breasts. It sits above your mouth, and yet it does not tell you that you have bad breath. Everyone else around you can know. Everyone in the room can be like, that dude needs to brush his teeth, or he has halitosis or something bad, like you, whatever. Everyone else can tell. Yes, gross, right? But you can't tell. The nose sits above the mouth, and yet you are oblivious to your condition. When someone comes with a hard word, sometimes we are oblivious to what is really in our life, what is really happening. So we need to say, God, is this true? Is there really something here, something that they're sharing that I need to consider, that I need transformation in, that I need to hear so I can be conformed more like Jesus it comes with humility. It comes with taking that moment to say thank you and then saying, will you pray for me? Will you help me? It's, it's taking those steps. Paul is not their enemy. And he says, our love is strained and I'm saying hard things to you because I love you. When I came to the bridge seven years ago, we had community groups, and one of the statements, and I don't know why we removed it from the website, and man, we got to bring it back um, about our community groups, was this, that we wanted communities that were intrusive communities of grace. Amen. Because the, the expectation there is, I'm going to be in your life, and you're going to be in my life, and we're going to do life together, and we're going to encourage one another, and at times say hard things, and we're going to build each other up, and we're going to serve together, and we're going to love one another, and meet needs, and pray, and, and do all this stuff. We're going to care for each other. We 
are going to bring back community groups soon, soon enough, probably not as soon as we need to, but we are working on it, and we will do it. We must do it. We just say it that way. We must do it. It's, it's our growth as Jesus' people in many ways. It, it depends on it. It depends on being together, one anothering. Verses 17 and 18, we, we see this in the scripture. He says, they, these are the Judaizers, the people that were teaching uh, legalism. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want, you, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose or to have zeal for a good purpose, other translations put it, and not only when I'm present with you. So here we see Paul talking to them. He says, they want to make much of you so that you make much of them. They're really getting you to exalt them, to make much of their goodness, their righteousness, their, their way of walking and doing life. They are the ones who you should emulate and be looking to, and, and you're never quite there. You're never quite as good as they are, but man, that's who I just, those guys, those guys, those guys, they want you to make much of them is what he says. See, legalism sounds good. It sounds very noble. Like we want to follow the things of God. We want to do the, all of the, we want to live the way he says and with the morality and all the things that he, he talks about. And we, and we should do those things, but for very different reasons. We do it because we love God. We don't do it to get God's approval. And that's what Paul's making these distinctions. But legalism on its face, it sounds good. It sounds very noble. The problem with legalism, the problem with this is that it makes much of ourselves. We start thinking about how good we are, how, how well we're doing. We start comparing ourselves to others. We're like, well, I, you know, I'm really not nailing it, but I'm better than that guy, you know, so I'm doing pretty good. And we start making much of ourselves. And what ends up happening is that you exalt those who are right, or they have the right theology, or they have the right ministry. We start exalting man and not Christ. Now, you may say, hey, I, you know, I'm glad I'm at the bridge because we, we exalt Jesus at the bridge. But I want to just pose a little question to you and to have you search your own heart for a moment. Maybe you have fallen victim to some of these lies of the enemy because he is so subtle and so crafty, you'll bring legalism into your life and you won't even know it. So let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted to hide by putting on a mask of righteousness, holiness, or purity, knowing that you're anything but that? Have you ever walked into the fellowship of God's people and you put on the mask and you're like, I'm good. Everything's fine. Our family's wonderful. My job is perfect. My relationships are great. Because you don't want anyone to know the contrary. That's legalism. I'm pretending. I'm, I'm playing church. I'm putting on a mask. I'm, I'm doing something. I'm putting on a show. I'm becoming religious. See, legalism makes it unacceptable to struggle. You ever been in that fellowship? You can't struggle. You're not allowed to struggle. Like you walk in, it's like, am I the only one with a struggle here? You look around, everybody else is like really good. 
and, and the families look great, and the kids are all in a row, and then, so it's like, wow, it's like, is it just me? It's like, okay, so you put on the mask. I'm not going to struggle either. Legalism makes it unacceptable. It says you can't struggle, but we will say this. I, I, it's just crazy. We will say this. We all struggle. Don't we say, we all have struggle, and inside we say, but you'll never see me struggle. You'll never see my family struggle. Legalism will do that to you. Legalism grows a disdain for the hurting among us. They're like, oh, I can't believe they live like that. Oh, I can't believe that that's a problem for them. I can't believe their kids are doing this. I can't believe that this is something that they're being tempted by or whatever. Legalism grows a disdain for those who are hurting among us. And, and then when we call for prayer and we say, hey, if God's working in your heart and something's going on, come forward and get prayer. Nobody wants to be that guy or gal. Like, I don't want to go up there. Like, then I have to confess that I haven't been perfect and stuff is messed up and I have problems going on with my marriage or at work or with my kids. I don't want to confess any of that. Like, I'm just, okay, yeah, anybody want to go? Legalism keeps us from just getting the ministry that we need for our souls from our brothers and sisters and from the Lord. We begin hiding in plain sight with that growing feeling that no one ever really knows me. You ever feel that way? Walk in the fellowship? If you've been playing the game long enough, putting on the mask month after month, year after year, you will come into a fellowship and one day have this feeling. Nobody here knows me. Nobody's really in my life. Of course, I don't want them in my life because I don't want them to see contrary to the image I have just built. But then you walk away saying, that's a cold fellowship. Nobody knows me. Nobody really cares about us. Nobody talks to us because we're not talking to each other. We're all playing the game. That's the point, right? Like legalism gets us all doing the same thing. We all look good. We all look holy. We all look righteous. Our church is the best thing going. It's the best thing since sliced bread, right? So come to this church because everything's right and perfect. And then you have broken people that walk in and they're just like, no, thank you. You know, Paul's saying, no, we, we can't go into this. This under the law enslaves us. And when that mask is in danger of coming off because we can't control our life the way we think we can, when things get too chaotic and things are too out of our control, what typically happens is that people, they run. They disappear. They leave the church. And then maybe after a season, they'll come back. And, and now I'm talking about those who are falling into this trap because typically what you hear if you've been oppressed by this spirit of legalism, this teaching of legalism, you disappear and come back. And when you come back, people are like, hey, where have you been? What's been going on? You're like, well, you know, we just got busy for a season. I don't want to tell you all the stuff that just fell apart in my life. We were just busy for a while. We just had too much going on. You know, for a while, we just did the, oh, uh, you know, and, and we make excuses. Why? Because we keep the persona. And what happens is we walked right back into the trap that sent us out the door in the first place. We walk back in and we just start playing the game again. And Paul's like, I don't want that for you. I want you to be free in Jesus. I want you to be free, set free, to walk in liberty, 
true Christian liberty. Not having to be under the law, but to be free to fulfill the law because you love Jesus and you're doing those things because you just love God and you just want to live that way. And it's okay that you don't nail it because Jesus loves you regardless. And you're like, I want to live like that. I just want to live in freedom. And when you have people in a fellowship that walk in freedom and not trapped by the law, uh uh-oh, that's a threat. Legalism feels threatened by those who walk in freedom. It upsets the order. It removes the focus from doing and being right, and it puts the focus on Jesus, and he becomes the hero of every testimony and not ourselves. So when we see at times people walking in freedom, they get scrutinized. They get slandered. They get talked about. Why? Well, because they're upsetting everything. Like, I, I, just, I don't like that because I'm living this way. And this exposes my hypocrisy. And I don't want that. And maybe we don't think deep enough to realize that's why we act the way we act. But that's what's happening. So what promises freedom? Paul's saying what promised you guys freedom, this, this idea of being under the law, it actually enslaved you. What promised joy has brought you frustration, it brings you shame, and brings you hopelessness. The law is not good news. The law is holy. It shows us our depravity. That's the point of the law. It shows us our need for Jesus, who is the one who saves and makes us free. We, we aren't saved by the law. And he says, you're trying to live by the law. And what it does, it makes you feel miserable because you can't do it. You're not in freedom. You're actually in slavery. And you're walking around trying to be all that you cannot be apart from Christ. So how do we get free? Good question. Verses 8 through 12 says this. Yeah. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. He says, formerly, you did not know God. You were enslaved to works, philosophies, as if they were God. He's talking about these pagan ideals and these philosophies and these religions. He's talking about the law of Judaism. He's saying these things were being elevated in your life as if they were God, but they were not God and you were enslaved to them when you did not know him. He says, but now you are known by God. That's an identity shift. That's a shift in who you are before the living God. Once you were a child of wrath and you were far off and you were alienated from him. Now you are brought near and you're born again and you are a son or daughter. There's, a, there's an identity shift, there's a change. How do we get free in Christ? First, we have to understand that we have a new identity. You're born again. You've become his child. You're adopted into a better family. Hebrews 7, verses 18 and 19 says this. 
For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. A better hope, that's Jesus. A better hope, it's a new identity. A better hope is the salvation that comes through Christ. And he moves us into something good. The law does not bring perfection. Christ brings us his righteousness and perfection. So in Jesus, we are beloved. I don't feel worthy. You're beloved. He loves you in Christ. You're righteous. He gives you his righteousness. You are holy, being set apart for him. He calls you a saint. He says that you are God's very own masterpiece in Ephesians chapter 2. You're the masterpiece of God. Better than anything hanging in the Louvre. You are accepted. You are a royal priest. You are chosen. You are a prized possession. You are an ambassador of the king. You are a co-heir with Christ. These are just a few. Like I was just scribbling down things. Like these are just a few of who you are in Jesus. This is your new identity. This is who he calls you. Paul says, that's liberty. That's freedom. After the change, he says, though, you want to go back. Why do we go back to enslave things? Why do we do that? Why do we return to things? And in this passage, he says, you want to. That's a heart issue. I want to go back to the old way. I want to go back to the old identity. I want to go back to how I used to live. That's, that's the children being delivered out of Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, moving to the promise. And they start grumbling and complaining, and they say, I want to go back to Egypt. We do the same thing. In our hearts, we can do the same thing. Christ has brought us deliverance. He pulls us out and we are moving to the promises of God, to the fullness of what he has for us, conforming us into the image of Jesus himself. And we're moving and we're walking in that way. And we start grumbling and complaining. We say, I want to go back. It was so much better. Paul says, why do you want to do that? I think there's five reasons that I have that people go back. Why do people turn back to lesser things? First of all, it's familiar. You do it because you know it. It's familiar. We, we may not like it. Let's be honest. It's like, man, I've tasted the new life. I really like this, but it's weird. It's different. It's, it's you know, I know this. This is comfortable. It's not good, and I know I shouldn't do that or whatever, but I know it. It's what I've learned. It's it's how I navigate life. It's, I understand my own brokenness there. I know what's expected of me. And, and it's just, it doesn't feel strange anymore. It's like, it's just familiar. So I go back to the old ways because it's what I know. The second reason we go back to lesser things is because we're in the wrong identity. Instead of reminding ourselves who we are now in Christ, we think about our old man, our old woman, who we were, the dead person who is in who has been buried with Christ. <laughs> we think about him and we go back to how he was. And we say things like, well, I'm just a workaholic or, you know, I just, I just have a kind of an aggressive personality or I'm just so timid or I'm shy or I'm passive or, you know, I'm just lazy or whatever. We, we say 
what we are and we act in that identity. Or we say what we're not. I'm not intelligent. I'm not smart like that guy. Or I'm not like this person. Or I can't do that. What we can't do. We work in that identity. Guess what? That's what you're going to get. Those are the results you get because that's the identity you're working out of. You're working towards those things. So we go back to old things because we go back to the old identity. We go back to wrong things. We operate out of identity. That's why we put on the new self. That's why we could be transformed and we change the thinking of our minds, as Romans 12 says. A third reason we go back to old things is because there's a payoff. You get something out of it. Why would you do it if you didn't get anything out of it? right? Like there's, there's some kind of payout that's happening. There's some kind of emotional or re- relational reward. You're saying, I don't really like this, but you know, it kind of makes me feel good. So I go back there or it helps me or it does this for me or it does that for me. We, we go back because we, there's a payoff. Another reason we go back is because of spiritual warfare. Let's just be honest. Like there are many of us who are trying to walk in the new identity and Satan does not want you to walk in the new identity. The world doesn't want you to walk in the new identity. So you're going after the new things. You're saying, I'm going to put on the new mind. I'm going to go after what Jesus wants me to be. I'm thinking about this. It's like I wrote down all the things that Rob said today about who I am. I'm thinking about that and I'm trying and I'm doing it. I'm walking in it and I'm starting to get frustrated and I'm starting to get discouraged and this is hard and this is new and this feels weird and Everyone's looking at me weird because I'm talking different now and acting a little different and all that. And we start to get discouraged. So you say, you know what? I'll just go back to the old way because then I'm not weird. I'm not strange. I look like everyone else and it's okay. And that's just, I'll just go back to it. That's spiritual warfare. Satan wants you to get discouraged. He wants you to go back. He may not have your soul, but man, he wants to make you ineffective. He doesn't want you to be conformed to the image of Christ. He says, why don't you just wallow in the mud and just be new over there and dirty and just be of no use to the king of the kingdom. That's what you want. Just be like everybody else. Just be over there. That's what he wants. So we get discouraged and we go back to the old ways. And the last one, not a popular one, but it is one that we have to deal with, is that we have demonic strongholds in our life. We just have influences. We, it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Sometimes we give the devil a foothold in our life. And we allow the enemy to influence us. When we think about uh, that word foothold, it's, it's the, the military term like taking the beachhead. And when we think about uh, Normandy, they got a foothold in Europe. They, they got a spot so then they could advance their attack. That's what the enemy does in our life. We have to be aware that he will come against us. He will attack. There will be areas where you have given a foothold. You're born again. You have the Holy Spirit of God, and yet you have opened up areas of your life for demonic influence. You're allowing him to attack you. You've given him those areas. So what do you have to do? You need to close them. You need to repent. You need to pray and you need to close those areas of your life and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't like that one because it just sounds icky, but it, scriptures talk about it. Verse 12, he says, become as I am. That's the freedom in Christ. So how do we have that? So we know why we go back. So how do we have freedom? Here's how we have freedom. 
if any of this has been resonating with you and you're just thinking about this, and you're like, yeah, Rob, I want to be free today. I want to have more freedom in Christ. How do I do that? At the end of the service, when we're, when we're singing, we'll have some worship, uh, some prayer people here. We'll have some prayer people in this back little alcove. They would love to pray with you. And I would like you to consider these seven things. This is just kind of an order to, to help you deal with maybe what God's stirring up in your life right now. First of all is this, grow in friendship with God. What's your friendship with God look like? Ask them to help you deepen your friendship with God. Pray that I would just be deeper in relationship with Jesus. Grow in your friendship with God. Number two, understand and walk in your new identity. Ask someone to pray like, hey, help me to understand who God says I am. Like get some scriptures after you leave here today that God says, this is who you are and put them on a card, put them on your mirror, do something. So when the enemies come in and those thoughts are flooding in and you're tempted to be discouraged, this is, no, I'm going to meditate on this. I'm going to look at this. This is who I am. This is what God says about me. This is truth. This is a lie. Understand and walk in that new identity. As he's brought things to mind, confess it. Confess your sin. There's no, if you don't confess it, you just hold on to it. Nobody wants it. Confess it. Let go of it. Repent. Turn away from the old and turn to Christ and the new. Number four, confess wrong thoughts. Maybe you haven't sinned, but man, you're living with wrong thoughts and lies. Confess those. Yeah, Lord, I confess. This is how I've been thinking. I know that's a lie. Lord, what is the truth? Show me the truth. Give me wisdom. You say in James, if any of us lack wisdom, you will give it liberally without distinction. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you are in this moment. If you pray for wisdom, he wants to pour it out on you so you will know the truth. And if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. That is the truth of God being poured into your circumstance. So pray, confess that you have wrong thoughts or wrong beliefs that you've been holding on to. Replace the, that lie with the truth. Ask someone to help do that as you pray with them. Number five, renounce any benefit you have been receiving from broken things, from sinful practices, sinful patterns, sinful beliefs, things that are, that are not in alignment with God and his purposes. That is so important. You must renounce those things. You must give them over. How do you close the influence that the enemy has? You renounce all of the blessings that you have taken from what he gave you. You say, I don't want that anymore. I renounce that in Jesus' name. And you give those up. When you do that, you're closing those areas of influence. You're saying, I don't want this anymore. I don't want the benefit of these behaviors and these actions and these beliefs because these are contrary to what God has for me. So I renounce them. No matter how good they may feel, get rid of it. Say, I don't want it. Then pray. So five is renounce benefits. Six, pray with one another that you would be set free from any foothold or agreement that you've made with the enemy. Just pray. Hey, Lord, help me be free of this. Help me close this. Help me not walk in these ways anymore repenting, I'm turning, I'm, I'm confessing, I'm, I'm renouncing. And then pray that you would be filled with the Spirit. 
God, in these areas of my life that I've just turned over to you, that I've confessed to you, that I've renounced, that need to be changed, will you fill it with your spirit? Will you fill this area of my life with your Holy Spirit? Because that's where it needs to be conformed. That's how we change. So Paul is talking to the Galatians about not being in bondage. And he's talking to us about not being in bondage. It could be legalism or it could be something else. But in this moment now, we just want to take time to, to pray with if that's what you need with those who will be up here. And if we have more people, <laughs> we have more prayer people too. So if we have more than the four can handle, um, we'll grab some others on the prayer team that are with us this morning. But we want to pray. Don't leave this place in bondage. You have every opportunity to be set free and to walk out of here with joy, to walk out of here clean, to feel what it really, what God wants you to feel, that holiness and that cleanliness. So will you stand with me? I'm going to pray. And as we sing, you can come and pray with the, the people up front or in the little alcove. If we need to get some more people, we will. But let's do business with God. Let's just not walk in those old ways anymore. And let's walk in the new. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. You want us to be set free. Paul is speaking to those in Galatia, and he wants them to be set free, to have joy. You want that for us. God, if we're not walking in joy because there's something that we're holding on to, beliefs that, we're, that we have that are not in alignment with your word, if there's things that we are needing to confess and repent of, God, we want to do that. We want to be free. We don't want to put on the mask any longer. So, Father, I just pray that during this time of worship, for those of us who are just reveling in the, your goodness, that you have at this moment— You've, you've fortified us and you're strengthening us and we're walking well with you and we're just enjoying fellowship with you. May we just praise you with a heart of thanksgiving. And those of us who need, who just need your touch, who need to, to just feel your love, I just pray that in, as they come forward in prayer, that you would just meet them in that moment. Give them what they need. Set them free so that when they leave this place, they can walk in that deep understanding of your love and who you are, and they can walk in the, just the, the freedom that comes in Jesus, that there will be no guilt or shame anymore, no condemnation that they were putting on themselves, that they would be free. And Father, if there's any here today who has not received Christ as their Savior, that they're living under bondage, they've never received Jesus, to forgive them of sins, I pray that they would come and pray too, that they would come and be set free for the first time, that the, the prison door would be open, the captive would come out and be set free, that they would have new life and a new identity. So God, if, if there is one here who needs that, would they not linger and, and stay hidden, but would they just come and say, I need God in my life. I need Jesus to forgive me. And may they start this new life today. We thank you. Thank you for hard words. We need truth. It's what changes and transforms and conforms. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit 